Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and 6 through 15. Now it's not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word of wisdom from the Apostle Paul. He was writing to a church in Corinth, but his words are meant for us as well. So Lord, we pray that we might hear your voice in what he has written. May we hear what you have to say to us. Speak to us, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, on the one hand, it was uh, the best of times. Uh, That period of time that Paul lived, it was almost right smack in the middle of that 200-year period known as Pax Romana. It's when there was little warfare. Oh, there were skirmishes here and there. But uh, for those 200 years, by and large, the world, at least in that part of the world, was at peace. It was, it, um, was all across the Roman Empire, all the way in the west to Britannia and Spain to far to the east to Armeni- Armenia and um, Syria and Judea and Egypt it was, a, it was an enforced peace by Rome, but nonetheless, it was a time of peace. But it was a time of great famines as well. Historians record at least, at least four major famines in that part of the world during just that decade that Paul spent traveling his three missionary journeys from Jerusalem to Syria to Macedonia to Greece and Turkey. The famines were recorded in Rome 
and in Greece and in Judea, but it was especially it was especially difficult in Jerusalem. In fact, the Jerusalem famine was so severe that Paul on his travels took up a collection. In fact, most scholars believe there were actually two collections that he took called the Jerusalem Collection. And as he traveled through Asia and Europe, he was calling on the people of these these fledgling uh, Christian churches to gather together funds to help the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Now, the Christians back in Jerusalem were being persecuted. They were being persecuted on, on the one hand by the Jews who could not accept the fact that these uh, Christians were following a man named Jesus that they claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And on the other hand, they were being persecuted by the Romans who, who saw them as simply rebel rousers, people that were going to disturb the peace of Pax Romana. And because of that, because of their persecution, they often did not have the, uh, the, the family support system that they would have normally uh, because unless their family joined the crowd of followers of Jesus, they would be ostracized by them. And so these early Christians in Jerusalem were pretty much left on their own, to their own devices. Now, there was another reason that uh, Paul made this collection on behalf of the Christians in Jerusalem. It wasn't just because it was a difficult time. It wasn't just because they were being persecuted. But he also saw, he saw a possibility here to, to, to show that these new converts, these Gentiles, uh, these Gentile Christians... Uh, could have love and care for their formerly Jewish counterparts. And during that time, during Paul's time, there was a great, great tug of war going on in the early church, whether or not one could become a Christian without first becoming Jewish. And so this was an opportunity for Paul to show that these Gentile Christians could, could share their love and their resources with their Jewish Christian counterparts in Jerusalem. But he, he, he had another reason, maybe the most important reason for collecting these funds as he traveled across Asia and Europe was to, to show a, a witness to faith, if you will, faith in God. And so he writes in our lesson today in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. It's not just simply that they're providing for a need, but they're, they're witnessing to their, their faith in God. And so it's, it's overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. In other words, giving to others is a way to show our gratefulness, to show our thanksgiving. Plus, we are the ones who ultimately benefit from this giving, and that's what he says in, in verse 10. He 
who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Well, no, I'm sorry. Still on verse 11, he says, you, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity. In other words, he's saying you who are being generous, you who are giving of your resources, you're going to benefit from this. In verse 7, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. And what he's saying is that we find joy, we find cheerfulness, if you will, in our own lives by our own giving. It, by giving of ourselves, we begin to experience the real joy that God wants for all of us. He also knew that there was no better way to bring together a divided church, and the church was divided back then. There were those who wanted to follow Apollos, some who wanted to follow Paul, others wanted to follow other missionaries that would come and go, and, and so they were all kind of fighting. They were, they were in a, a cosmopolitan city of Corinth, and so there were a lot of other influences, other religious influences, and so there was a lot of dissension in the church. And Paul knew there was no better way to bring together the church than to get the people of that church to look beyond themselves, to look outside of themselves, to look at the needs of others. The Corinthian church had their problems of famine and persecution, just like the church in Jerusalem. But it also had these divisions, and, and perhaps that's the very case that the Jerusalem church was experiencing as well. But these Corinthian Christians, they, they probably had every good reason to say, we don't have enough. To, we can barely take care of our own needs. How in the world can we take care of the needs of people so far away, people we've never even met? But Paul knew that God always multiplies our giving. And so now I'd like to read that verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God will take what we give, what we sow, and God will multiply that. God always multiplies our giving. It's the same message that Jesus was giving in his parable of the mustard seed. Remember, Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You see, what, what, what Jesus was saying is that our faith, uh, in God allows us to plant a seed that grows into something that you could never imagine. A little seed that you can barely, that you can barely see becomes a, a, a shrub that becomes so valuable in the desert. It provides shade. It provides a place uh, where birds can come and make nests. And, and this thing grows, you can see in the picture that we're showing here, it, it's huge. It would fill, you know, a third of this, this room in which we worship, all from that little seed. That's what, that's what Paul was saying in his letter, and that's what Jesus was saying in his parable, is that, you know, God always multiplies our giving. In the Old Testament, there's a story told about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who is sent to a widow, a widow at uh, Zarephath. She has a son, and she's poor, and she's out of food. 
And God tells Elijah to go to her and ask for food. And when he asks for food, she responds by saying, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal and a jar and a little oil and a jug. I am not gathering. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She is really having a bad day. (laughs) She has nothing, and she's ready to just give up. And long comes this prophet who says, could you give me something to eat? Well, as the story goes, even though she feels she has nothing to offer, she gives what little she has to Elijah. And in that jar that you would think would go empty never goes empty after that. It is always refilled by God. And in fact, Elijah later restores the life of her son when he falls ill. The message is simply God always multiplies our giving. When Jesus called on his disciples to feed that crowd of, well, the scriptures say 5,000 men, so it might have been ten or 15,000 people gathered on that hillside. When Jesus called on his disciples to feed them, they, they all but laughed at him and said, how are we going to feed such a crowd? We, we don't have enough to feed this crowd. And so he asks them, well, how many, how many loaves do you have? And, and they bring out five loaves and two fish. In fact, John's gospel suggests they didn't even have that. They had to call on a little boy to bring the five loaves and two fish. But when they put it into Jesus' hands, it changed. And there was more than enough to feed the crowd. You see, the the message is simple. God always multiplies our giving. If we give what we have, God will do the rest. The uh, theme for our service this morning is the gifts of generosity. And... As you know, over the last five weeks, we've been looking at the 20 spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible. And I have grouped two of those spiritual gifts into this category of the gifts of generosity. And those two spiritual gifts are giving and miracles. And you go, how does that, how does that fit? But let me say that... Uh, You know, if you want to know about these gifts, we have the yellow sheets out in the connection kiosk. Well, truly, when you think about, when you think about these stories in the Bible and when you think about what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you can see why miracles would be grouped with giving because out of our giving comes remarkable miracles. In fact, that's, it seems to me that's where miracles begin. They begin with giving. God always multiplies our giving. But you know, for those miracles to occur, we need the giving to kind of prime the pump, if you will, to start the miracles flowing. When I was growing up in Alabama, I lived with uh, my grandparents for for some time, and we lived in a little little farmhouse. We didn't have uh, indoor plumbing uh, for... Um, you know, bathrooms. We had to go out to the outhouse. 
Uh, but we did. We did. We were, we were up and coming. We did have water in the kitchen. We had, a, we had a pump, a hand pump. And we always kept a jar of water right next to that, uh, to that pump because, you see, you needed to prime the pump. You couldn't just get up there and start, you know, pushing the, the lever up and down and think that water would come up. You had to pour a little bit of water in there, and then when you started pumping, then it would, that was priming the pump. It would allow the water to come up. And always the last thing that you would do after you, after you got the water that you needed, you always had to fill up that, that, that jar so that the next person, when they came, they would, uh, they would be able to prime the pump for their needs. In the Bible, I'd like to suggest that the tithe is like that jar of water. That 10% that is set aside to get, to get the miracles flowing. Years ago, I, I wrote a piece kind of comparing tipping and tithing. Now, I, I want to just say that I'm not a real fan of tipping, um, not because I don't do it. I do. So if you happen to, you know, be a weight person, don't worry. If you see me coming in, I will tip. I just feel like people ought to be given a living, wa- living wage, and I think tipping can be demeaning to both the person who receives and the person who gives. But that's neither here nor there. That's not really really the point. I just wanted, I wanted to compare how we treat tipping and how we treat tithing. I, I titled the piece, Tip or Tithe? Question mark. Let me read that for you. When you eat dinner in a restaurant, how much do you tip your waiter or waitress when the meal is over? It's a simple enough, it, it's simple enough to calculate if you're tipping 15%, you multiply the bill by one-tenth. You half that, then add the two numbers together. That's pretty simple. If you tip 20%, just multiply the bill by two and divide by 10. Simple calculation. Now think about all the other percentages in your life that make demands on your wallet. There's the Virginia state tax of 5%, the sales tax, every time you buy something at the store. And the double-digit percentage demanded by Uncle Sam every April 15. And by the way, have you checked the interest you pay on your credit card balances? The percentage is probably higher than you think. Then there is the tithe for God, 10% according to Scripture. In reality, however, most people who say they have an active faith life and who make yearly financial commitments to the church don't even come close to the tithe in their giving. Even the meager interest earned by a typical passbook savings account often exceeds the percentage given by many churchgoers. It's sad reality that too many of us tip our weight person more than we give to God. Do we do this because our waiter or waitress does more for us than the Lord? Or is it simply that we think less of God than the person who serves us at our dinner table? What do you think? Does our tipping practice tell us anything about our relationship with God? At the very least, it probably says something important about what we value in life. 
As you prayerfully consider your own response to the question, here's a tip to consider. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, the amount of your tip says a lot about the amount of gratitude in your heart. An Old Testament prophet put it this way, bring the full tithes into the storehouse and put me to the test, says the Lord. See if I will not pour down for you an overflowing blessing. In so many words, the prophet is challenging us to consider the proposition, a generous heart always produces a generous harvest. Now that's a tip you can take to the bank. I want to share something with you. I think uh, I need to get this over here. Last year, um, we had 318 households that gave to the church. Um, and they, they contributed, we contributed about $754,000. So I want you to imagine this little $754,000. Okay. Now, if we, if we all tithed, this is what we would have given. It would be over $2 million. Now, that's just priming the pump, you see. It's priming the pump to, to allow the the miracles to start flowing. Now that's, you know, by comparison with a lot, of, a lot of church folks, we're not doing too bad, but notice the difference. I wonder what blessings would flow if, if we all tithe. Well, that's not the real purpose of these, uh, this red ribbon. I wonder if somebody would, would you like to take this and just walk it down the aisle? This is what God gave us. The tithe was a tithe of this. Wow. The blessings overflow, don't they? The miracles never cease. The prophet Malachi wrote, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. 